When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's gonna be sick. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here in the Sick Podcast Network, and welcome to On Campus Friday. Uh, Pierre McGuire, Jimmy Murphy here, and we've got a special guest coming up, uh, the head coach of the University of Connecticut, Mike Cavanaugh, will be joining us here. Pierre, looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, you think about Mike and his career, he's been all over. He was at Bowling Green, he was at Boston College, he's been at University of Connecticut now for a good long while. He's really helped make that team an institution in hockey East. And I think he's done a spectacular job with it. For sure. Pierre. Now you still, you're up in Hamilton, my friend, right? I am. Ready hockey. There we go. It's Friday. Yeah, that's right. You're uh, now, are you, are you in the coach's office again or no? No, no, I'm not. I'm in a, a different background. Yeah. It's a different background today. Yeah, nice. I wanted to give them their space before the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, we've had a couple coaches, though. We've been pretty lucky. We're having it again today, as I speak. Yeah. Coaches coming on on game days, which is, you know, Pierre, in our business, that's tough to get. So um, I think it says a lot about what we're doing here and, and how much coaches are appreciating uh, the on-campus Fridays. Well, I think coaches really care about growing the game, too. And they've been amazing messengers, most of them. Uh, for the college game, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. You know, the, the man we're having on today, Mike Cavanaugh, he's a real good college player at Bowdoin College where he played for, a you know, a legendary coach in Terry Mahar. Um, so, you know, he understands what it's like at the Division three level as a player. He understands what it's like to win national championships as a coach at the Division one level. So he, he's a really keen observer of not just college hockey, but all hockey. He really is. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking, you know, I'm really interested to ask him, too, when he got there, just, you know, what was his vision about building this up? I mean, they became a hockey school as he, you know, I think, what is he, one or two years in, I think, when they did? I believed, because they were 2014-15 was the first season. So I believe that was his third season as a coach there. And, and I'm wondering, you know, as we've discussed, we discussed it with UMass as well, where I went, you're coming into a school that's just so founded on, on basketball, basketball and basketball, yeah. so many championships, so much tradition around that sport. What was it like to try and implement the hot, the game of hockey into that culture and into the student body uh, to get them to accept it. But, you know, by all accounts, he's done a great job. And now they've got a beautiful, beautiful arena, mm -hmm. uh, Toscano form and you know what we've got Mike right now we'll ask him about that wonderful arena he's doing us right now Mike Cavanaugh at University right. of Connecticut hey coach how are you I'm good guys how are you I'm trying not to bad at all fix this thing that's okay if, uh... all right you guys you look me? you're looking great <laughs> yeah all right I'm trying to figure out <laughs> looking dandy I my seem friend like I'm centered I don't seem like I'm centered here but yeah, you're a bit to the side, but that's all right. As long as we can see all your right. face. Okay. <laughs> so I, guess, I don't know what. What's that? Go ahead. I was just saying we were just uh, talking about uh, Toscano form, and, and I yeah, I, I haven't been there, but I mean from afar and everything I'm hearing, it is a beauty of a barn, eh? It came out fantastic. It was, uh, you know, like anything else, Jimmy, when you uh, build something. But a year later, you're like, God, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. But for the most part, where where it is, uh, <clears throat> where we didn't miss a beat was everything for the players, like their their lounge, their dry room, the uh, locker room, the weight room, the hydrotherapy area, shooting room, all the resources they need to become the very best player that they can be. They have here now. So, um, and for the fan experience. 
it's so steep uh, the way they built it that mm -hmm. all the seats are great. The club room is special. So they did an awesome job. Mike, you know, you did an awesome job too because I know how important the fundraising aspect to this whole program right. was. How much time did you spend actually out on the road trying to raise the funds to do this? Yeah, we're still doing it. <laughs> it's not completely paid off yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's um, – yeah, that's a big part of the job, and I think that's one of the things. You know, I was an assistant for 20 years, and um, – I think that's one of the things that you don't realize when you become a head coach, you think it's all about recruiting and coaching on game night, but there's so many other factors that go into being a head coach. And that happens to be one of them. And in, in the college world today, um, you're constantly out there uh, spending time with donors and fans and uh, supporters of the program to, to, you know, help you find the funds that are necessary to build a winning program. Uh, Coach, you know, you talked about how, how great it is for the players there, too. And, Pierre, you might be able to allude to this as well because you've done some coaching. You've been around the game for so long. I'm wondering, guys, you know, when did you guys sense – because I, I want to say I feel like it was maybe probably in the last 10 to 15, a little more years, where teams at the college and the pro level, we've seen it, really started to make that a priority – that when players would come, they knew they could feel comfortable. They knew they'd feel at home in, in your facilities. Because you go back days when we were young guys, I mean, there's some pretty ancient places, uh, some relics, so to speak. And they kind of stuck around for a while. But now you see so many modernized uh, facilities, training rooms. Uh, and, and you just mentioned, when did you start to see that change in the college game? With the facilities? Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um because it's a great recruiting tool, right? Oh, no question. But, you know, I also am a big believer in it's the people in the building, not so much the building. Okay. Uh, we were within an overtime goal away from winning Hockey East, playing out of probably the worst facility in all of college hockey. So um, I, I think the buildings are great. And I remember when BU got their new building. Mm -hmm. uh, we had When I was at BC, we had the hardest time beating BC at Walter Brown. That was a tough place to play. You know, and then they get a Gannis, and I think, like, we went 10-2 and two in our next 12 against them oh, at, at a Gannis because it wasn't as intimidating a place to play, you know. And yeah. those numbers might be off, but my point was we had a winning record against them when we never did uh, mm -hmm. at Walter Brown. I mean, that was just such a tough building to play in. So I do think uh, – the facility in the long run helps because BU did eventually win a national title. And you can't say that again, it didn't help them recruit the players that were necessary to win that. Um, so I, I, to your point, Jimmy, I do think in today's world, unfortunately, uh, if your building isn't up to par with the rest of them, it's going to be tough to get players. You know, in the NHL, Jimmy and Mike, when it really started to change, Kevin Lowe was a general manager in, in Edmonton. And they wanted to try to lure players to come and play for them, whether it was free agents or guys that get in the trade market. Sure. And so they put in a real fancy kitchen with a chef. And now you can't go into an NHL facility now without seeing each team have their own chef, a kitchen right off the dressing room. <coughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable. But every single team has it. And it really started uh, with Kevin Lowe and the Edmonton Oilers. They deserve a lot of credit for that. You know, it's funny you say that because I was fortunate enough – uh, God, when I was in third grade, uh, Jerry Cheevers got traded back to the Bruins, and he moved into our hometown. And oh, his wow. son and I, his son and I, became good buddies. So I used to go to the old garden, and I don't know if you remember, they had the uh, players' lounge was below the dressing room. You went down yeah. the circular stairway, yep. right? I remember that. <laughs> uh, but and when you're a third grader, you know you can imagine what's down there. So you're spending more <laughs> time down there, right? But uh, but now, and then fast forward maybe 30 years from that, I went out to visit Corey Schneider when he was playing with the Canucks, uh, he and Andrew Alberts, and uh, they took me in the locker room, and Pierre, I was blown away by the kitchen and the setup, and they said they have to do this for us because our travel's so crazy yeah, that, right. you know, they're trying to lure free agents here. Yeah, no, 100%. Mike, you know, you talk about the old relic that was the old Boston Garden. One of the things that's really impressed me about you, the coaching tree that you come from, you played at Bowdoin for Terry Mahar, a legendary coach, especially at that level. 
Um, then you went to work for Jerry York uh, at Bowling Green, and then obviously the national championships at Boston College. How much did those two men influence you, Mike? Uh, no question, but I'd be remiss if I didn't put Jim Logue in that mix as Jimmy, well. Jimmy would be too. Uh, because, yeah. uh, again, I was fortunate where, you know, my dad grew up in Queens, so he was a football, basketball, baseball player, and we moved to Boston or North Andover when I was three. Uh, and we had a pond. He didn't know anything about hockey. I just started skating on the pond. <laughs> I, I didn't play organized hockey till I was probably nine years old, eight or nine years old. Um, and I got lucky because Jim Logue had two kids, and one was a year older and one was a year younger. So I always had him as a coach. And he was a you know, wow. Beanpot MVP, 1968 Olympian, uh, incredible coach. And then he coached me in high school. And one of the reasons that – Jerry hired me was because as I put down for references, one was Jim Logan, one was Terry Mahar. There you uh, go. And, and the late Sid Watson, who he, who he loved as well. So, yeah, Sid was uh, amazing. Uh, and that's how Jerry, that was basically, because I wrote every coach in the country, uh, and George Gwizdecki and Jerry were really the only two that returned my letters. And George had a guy. He said, if it falls through, I'll, I'll call you back. And Jerry said, come on out. You know, like if you want to come on out, uh, I could use a volunteer this year. So that's what I did. I went out there and got my master's. So, Jimmy, I just want you to understand, Mike had me, along with Coach York and Coach Brown, Greg Brown, they had me come <coughs> to Boston College probably, I'm going to say, eight or nine years ago. Maybe it's a little more than that, but I'm going to more say that. Because I'm here 11 now. Yeah, so <laughs> just before you went, so 11 years <laughs> ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a couple of years. You know who was in that room with him that was working still with the goalies at, at Boston College? Jimmy Logue. That's right. Oh, wow. he, he was still coaching Mike and Mike's group, obviously, and Coach York's group. He was still there. Unbelievable. He's, Unbelievable. he's the best. He, uh, yeah. he was Two weeks ago, he drove down to watch our game against Harvard. And uh, I just talked to him this morning because he's like, I want to be at your game at New Hampshire. Can you leave me tickets? You know, so <laughs> he's living up in the uh, Rye area now. But so I was okay. very, very fortunate to have. And I think that's, you know, you see some of these non-traditional areas where the pro guys stick around. And uh, St. Louis is a great example, you know, yep. where so many, I remember recruiting the Kachuk brothers and Connor yep. Dunlop and, uh, so many really good players started coming out of that area because those guys stuck around and uh, worked with the youth hockey. You know, you've seen it in Carolina now a little bit. I was uh, – who the heck did I see on the bench last week? Jason Williams and uh, – I forget who the other guy, but two former pros. Yeah, yeah, coaching down there. So, Yeah, they but actually – For years, Buffalo New York had that going on. Right. All those guys were given back, and Buffalo was an unbelievable hotbed for hockey yeah. for a long, long Still time. Still is. Yeah. 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 So, Coach, I'm just wondering, you know, Pierre and I were just talking before you came on, and I, I've kind of seen it happen at U, at UMass, my alma mater. What was it like uh, coming in, building up a hockey culture at a basketball school, school so to speak? You know, it, it was funny because I've been very – I think that culture word is a uh, – it's a real tricky word. And I think it would be very egotistical if I said I had to bring my culture here. UConn had a great culture in place. Like Jim Calhoun built an incredible basketball program. Mm -hmm. What Gino Ariema has done is unbelievable. When I got here, Ray Reed was the soccer coach. He had won a national championship. Nancy Stevens was the field hockey coach. She had won three national championships. Wow. Uh, Jim Penders has built a baseball program. You know, they were an eyelash away from going to um, Omaha a couple oh, of years yeah. ago. Yep. And I mean, we're a Northeast school. How many Northeast schools yeah. are eyelash away from going to Omaha? I mean, yeah. when you look at George Springer and Matt Barnes and the players that he's had down here. So my thing was, I just got to get our program to adhere to the Yukon culture. Okay. That, that, that's my okay. challenge while I'm here. And, uh, you know, I think we've been able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've, uh, you know, since we've been in the league, I think uh, – I don't know if there's another team in the league in the last five years that's finished in the top five every year uh, like we have. Uh, so mm -hmm. we've been very, very consistent. We have not – you know, we're like I said, we were close to winning it a couple of years ago. Um, you know, there's still a lot more room to grow, Jimmy. But uh, what was exciting to me about this job when it, it came about, I just – I'll never forget being at BC 
and seeing the building sold out for a women's basketball game. Nobody came to the women's basketball games at BC, but it was yeah. all UConn fans. Yeah, I was like, they, <laughs> if they're going to sell out for, if they're going to travel that many people to Boston for a women's basketball game, what yeah. are they going to do for hockey? And last week we had 9,500 in the XL Center for our second yeah. game against Maine. Well, well, one thing, Pierre, I mean, we've said this a, a bunch of times too, and I wonder too if that helped coming in. The the hockey culture, the hockey, well, I won't use that word, the hockey population, let's say, of fans and players is very underrated in Connecticut. Like it's a lot bigger than I think people nationally understand how much the passion for hockey is in that region. Well, I think the Hartford Whalers uh, merch is still one of the top 10 oh, selling crazy. merch, you know, yep. uh, out there. So, yeah, there's a still a, you know, they still think the Whalers are coming back. I've tried to you let them so. down easy saying, I don't think that's happening, but, <laughs> uh, <coughs> but it, it's fun having that type of passion in the state. And when you're the, there's no other pro teams in the state, you are the pro team. So, yeah. uh, you know, and I think that shows with the number of uh, fans we get on a nightly basis. You know what else shows, Jimmy? They can get first round NHL draft picks to go play at UConn. <laughs> Tage Thompson to exhibit A. And obviously Matt Woods is exhibit B right now, who's now currently playing for Coach Kavanaugh. Right. Just finished playing in the World Junior for Team Canada. I got to ask you about that, Mike. Tage Thompson, when you had him, it took time for him to establish himself at the NHL. Did you see the greatness, the potential greatness that Tage Thompson uh, had when he was at UConn? Yeah, well, you know, I was, uh, again, like having Coach Brian Boyle, who was a, a big forward, uh, the Hayes brothers at BC, who were big forwards. I saw a lot of the same attributes in Tage. However, none of those guys shot the puck like Tage. Uh, he led the country in, in power play goals his freshman year here. Um, just just banging one-timers, and he was, you know. Uh, and Matthew Wood has a very similar skill set uh, to Tage, which is kind of unique. Uh, <coughs> but, no, to answer your question, did I think he was going to play in the National Hockey League? Yes. Did I think he was going to be a superstar? I, I couldn't say back when I had him that I thought he was going to be a top-10 player in the league like he was last year. So tell the Nashville fans what they can expect from Matthew Woods once he gets to the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think it's um, – and you would probably – you'd know this better than I would, Pierre, having been around the pro game a lot more than myself. I think it's really hard. Like, he was 17 years old all of last year. He didn't turn 18 of February. So he's still the youngest kid on our team as a sophomore. And I don't think – you know, some people understand, and, and Pierre, you would know because we've talked about it. Yeah. Like Brady Kachuk had eight goals as a freshman, you know, and I think he had 30 the next year in the National Hockey League or something like that. Yeah, 20, 23, but that's 23, all right. All right. It's, yeah, all, it's still a good number, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to score in college hockey. So at times I think uh, Matthew's still growing and maturing uh, with his game, but his the things that he has that you can't teach are the shot, I think, and the IQ. He is such a smart player. And I think that's what's – when he finally fills out and becomes a man, uh, those are the things that will propel him to be a great NHL hockey player. See, I, I agree, Jimmy, I agree with everything Coach Kavanaugh just said about Matt Woods. If you watch the World Junior, he scores a goal on a breakaway. It's yeah. not a little bit of good of a shot. It's an that's elite goal-scorer yeah. shot. And, and that's just one example. And I've watched Matt play so much. I, I really – you know, you think about it, he's a kid from B.C. There are a lot of real good schools between uh, British Columbia and Stores, Connecticut, and it speaks to where the program in Stores is going because you can recruit kids like that, Mike. It really says a lot about your program. Yeah, and I have to, you know, credit my former assistant, Joe Pereira. He did a really good job tracking him down, and it was one of those things. We kind of got lucky because it was during COVID when they had the ban on us recruiting. Uh and he was watching a kid on film that wound up going to another ECAC school. But he said to me, yeah, that kid's good, but I think this young kid's really good, you know. <laughs> and that's how we first kind of got him. And at the time, uh, you know, we had a relationship with Kent Hughes, and he was his advisor at the time and uh, because Kent had gone to Middlebury with Matt's dad. Okay. Uh, so – we use those Nestcat connections there and uh, <laughs> get them to stores.
That's, nice. That's how I was saying. By the way, Joe Pereira is at Boston University now, Jimmy. So yeah. okay. even, it's just another growth of the Kavanaugh coaching tree yeah. that gets passed around. I'm playing against another one tonight, Mike Souza. So. That's correct. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Coach, uh, just so, you know, for our viewers and listeners out there, who are some other players maybe that, you know, we're not hearing about as much that are on your roster that maybe we should keep an eye on? I think Chase Bradley's a kid that uh, I know Pierre has a, an affection for those third, fourth line grinders uh, that, that win you <laughs> championships, as we both do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't speak for Pierre, but I might have been one of those guys myself. So, well, I, I coached against you, Mike, when you're a player. So, don't worry, I got the scouting report on you pretty good. <laughs> um, he spoke highly of you. I'll, I'll oh, tell you. He always sent Hurley and Rice and those guys after me. It was, like, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I would say that Chase Bradley's a kid that has a skill set that uh translates at the next level. I think I he's a Hard-nosed, tough forward. Yeah. Um, you know, Samu Salmanen still a kid coming into his own. He's a third-round pick of the Devils, but he's got that pro frame. And uh, it, it's going to, you know, take a little while, uh, I think, for him uh, right now. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's always a couple guys. I have some great uh, – Jake Richard is a kid that – He can shoot the puck, huh, Mike? He can oh, really and, and so smart and clever. Yeah. He's one of those players, Pierre, that – like, how do you make that play? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I used to always – Craig Janney used to be able to pick pucks out of the air like nobody I've ever seen, you know? Like, yeah. You, you're, you're always supposed to angle when you forecheck. Craig would straight, skate straight at the guy and pick the puck off, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. uh, and that's something like Jake Richard has that kind of skill. Um so there's a few guys on the team, I think, that that have a chance down the road. Uh, and I agree on Chase Bradley wholeheartedly. I think uh, he's a steal, quite frankly. I think he'll play in the NHL sooner rather than later. And, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't he another one of those St. Louis-type guys who spent some time playing there? Yeah, yep, the St. Louis kid, yeah. Yep, yep. So, he, again, Jim, he speaks to what Mike was saying before. A lot of these NHL guys, they stay in certain cities – and eventually it just becomes a hotbed for young hockey players because yep. the NHL guys are staying. Yeah. yeah. We were talking, Pierre, remember, too, even Arizona, you know, the players coming well, out of there. Yeah. I mean, Shane Doan forever. And over right. this boy, Josh, just signed out of Arizona State. He's playing in Tucson in the American Hockey yeah. League right now. Well, isn't uh, Matthew Nyes and Matthew Austin Matthews? Nyes and Austin yeah. Matthews. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty good players. <laughs> they're not bad. <laughs> Anyhow. So I like I, Pierre. You want to ask him about just the influence? I want to hear about just coaching under Jerry York because I, I've known Jerry for a while. I love the guy, but Pierre, you had some questions to ask about that. No, no, but I want I I know a lot about Coach York. Um, I'm so proud that he got into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I think it's a tremendous honor for him, obviously, and for his family. But you know, I know how much of an influence he was it's on Mike. I think Mike should talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was really fortunate. Like I said, it's, uh, this business is funny. Like people were like, how did you know Jerry? I said, I really didn't, you know, um, I went out there cold as a 23, 24 year old kid. Uh, and the one thing, the, the great piece of advice I got was listen, you know, Jerry, if you know, Jerry, pretty straight arrow, uh, you know, does things the right way, goes to mass every week. Oh, yeah. uh, and he, the person said to me, be yourself. Don't try to be Jerry York because he'll see through it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what I did. And, and I was just myself out there. I had a great time. Well, it was an unbelievable staff with uh, oh. Wayne, Wil Wayne Wilson and Scott Pollock. And Wayne's a coach at... RIT and he's done a phenomenal job there. And yes. uh, I worked with Scott uh, at BC and he's working for the uh, USA hockey now, a great mind. So I got spoiled with that staff uh, and, and had a great year. You know, we, we had some good players. Brian Holzinger wound up winning the Hobie Baker award. Mm -hmm. Todd Reardon was on that team and oh, wow. uh, he's, he carved out a pretty good career. Uh, Brett Harkins yeah. who had a long, uh, a lot, a lot more players. I'm just drawing a blank right now on some of them, but uh, it was a. It was, you know who else? Uh, Greg Devries was on that team. Oh, yeah. it, it, it was, uh, you know, a really good year. And then uh, 
Mike Hall. I think you coached him in Baton Rouge, Pierre. I had him. Yeah, Bonesy. Uh, his, and his boy wound up – I wound up coaching against his boy. That's when you know you're getting old. When, uh, <laughs> at, when he was at Yale. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, and then Jerry helped me get the uh, Dartmouth job. Uh, and and while there were a couple tough years, they were invaluable for me because I could really cut my teeth recruiting. And that's when I got out on the road and started to make a lot of connections and meet different people. And then when Jerry went back to BC, I went there with him. And, you know, I, I learned uh, people always ask me, like, what his greatest strengths are. Jerry uh, teaches respect and instills discipline, but he lets a player play. Like he lets a player play to his strength. He doesn't try to pigeonhole players. He doesn't try to make them robotic. Uh, and at times where, you know, you'd get frustrated sometimes with a kid and you want him to do this, he'd tell you to back off and just let the kid figure it out and let him play. And now if he wasn't, you know, we had principles and uh, there were core principles and he would hold kids to those. Right. But, uh, he would let a kid's natural talents come out on the ice and it's something I've tried to do. And he also like running a program where I really respect him so much more now was he never let the small stuff get in the way. And I see too many coaches now worry about marketing plans and playing the right music during a game and just crazy. He'd always say, handle a curveball, Cav, you know, just handle a curveball, <laughs> you know, um, you know, Jimmy, I got to I got to tell you, and I think Mike will back <laughs> me up on this. Uh, I talked to Coach York once. I said, "What's the key to your recruiting?" Because you get so many good players. He goes, "Here's what we try to do. We'd much rather have a great person who's a good player than a great player who's a marginal person." And I said, "Why is that, Coach?" He goes, "Because the great person who's a good player will listen and is coachable. Mm -hmm. The great player who's a marginal person." won't listen. You'll never make them better. And I, I've always had that stick in my mind ever since Coach York told me that. Yeah, and then, and there's sometimes where, and you know, Pierre, that there are some players that you have to put up with a little bit of their stuff because it's yeah. hard to get 25 goals, you know. <laughs> it's hard to find a 30-goal scorer in college. And at times, you know, uh, I always thought, like, Cam Atkinson was a great example of that because Cam was a kid who – might cheat, but the one thing, and Johnny Gaudreau was similar, but the one thing about those two kids, when you looked them in the eye and said, hey, you need to buckle down, I need you to bear down right now, they would do it. They wow. they, they would, they understood this is a 2-1 game. I'm not turning this over at the blue line. Like, this puck's getting deep, and we're going to win this game. So, uh, But you do have to let those kids have their leeway, too, because like I don't think there's anybody better than Johnny at knowing when to leave the zone and get a breakaway or, or create a two-on-one. Good at it. Very good at it. Well, Jimmy, you know what? Mike doesn't even talk about it, but Chris Kreider, I mean, <laughs> a huge player for Boston College. And yeah. Look at the career he's gone on to have. It's just been magnificent. Really yeah, special. We, you know, he and Brian Dumoulin were the same class. And we've, we got them both. When we started recruiting them, Chris was playing at Maskinom at high school. And Brian was playing for Biddeford High School. Brian, in fact, played wow. for Biddeford High School through his junior year. He only played one year with Sean Tremblay in the uh, in the old – I forget what the league was. Uh, I, th I think he was playing for the Monarchs, the New Hampshire Monarchs, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that league's changed names so many times now. Yeah, I know. Um, but, I think uh, it's like the USPHL right now, right? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to keep track. And I'm in this <laughs> – uh, it's, you know, those two are great examples of, of kids that didn't rush it. They dominated the level they were at. And then Chris wound up going to Phillips Andover and dominating there and then coming to BC. And Brian, you know, dominated at Biddeford High School and then dominated at the Monarchs and wound up being a two-time national champion at BC. You know what's pretty cool about, you know, what's pretty cool about Kreider going to Phillips Andover he had a teammate that's playing for the Philadelphia Flyers right now that went to Brown University. Yeah. Brown at Hathaway. Brown at Hathaway. Yeah. Imagine yeah. those two guys playing prep <laughs> hockey with their size and skating oh ability. They would just destroy oh. the other team's defense. Yeah. yeah. And then the speed, too, for yeah. Chris. I mean, that's – Oh, Chris, I would say, like, the only Jetson. other the only other person that cut the ice up, like – I used to worry about Logie in practice because Logie would <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> 
<laughs> if Kreider was coming on that train track, he weren't stopping him. Uh, um, but was Mike Matheson was the only other one who oh, I yeah. thought it was as powerful as as, as Kreider's. Yeah. Elite, elite skater at that level. And he's a kid from Montreal and went to the USHL. And back then, there weren't a lot of kids. They were going to major junior. Right. And Mike was a big right. guy in terms of getting Mike Matheson to Boston right. College. And he stayed an extra year, right, Mike? Because you guys named him captain. Yeah, I I was only with him for, I think, two years. Uh, was I with him? I can't. I don't. When I went to Connecticut, he was still at um, – BC. But he played, so I, I wasn't with him his years. whole career. I wasn't yeah, yeah. with him his whole career. Yeah. 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 He's having a good year for the Hats right now, too. Fantastic year. Yeah. yeah. He's been a good pickup for them. Coach, yeah. um, you know, this is something I don't think I've asked any of the coaches we've had on yet, but I'm wondering what is uh, the transfer portal done in terms of scouting for coaches? I know you're always out there recruiting for future players, but now you're scouting for, say, for current players. How has that whole thing evolved for the coaching staff? You know, I think after this year, it's not going to be as much of an issue because uh, mm -hmm. I think where it's got crazy the last couple of years is everybody having the COVID year. And this mm -hmm. will be the last year of that. You know, that being said, when the season ended in, in April, you always went down the convention. And then you could exhale and take a deep breath. And, and sometimes you'd go see the Centennial Cup or – some of those things in May, but the recruiting wasn't heavy lifting. Everything was pretty much done. Last mm -hmm. May, we were doing tons of visits with potential transfer kids. Um, because, no, like we lost one that we weren't expecting to lose. So now you got to replace and it happened to be a goaltender. So now you got to replace a goalie and you bring in different kids in. So I'm hoping that it, it, it dies down. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of luck with the grad transfer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some, some really good grad transfers. I'm always a little leery and hesitant to look at a kid that wants to leave after two years. And it's usually, well, why do you want to leave where you're at? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I don't like the coach. I don't like the, uh, yeah, well, it's probably going to be more of that if you come here. So um, <laughs> that's, that's what's always a little scary. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that it'll, you know, it's, it's not – some people hate it. Some people love it. I think there's a, a there's good parts of it. Listen, if a coach leaves that recruited you, you should have the ability to go to a different school if you'd like and not have to sit out. I think that's fair. Um, you know, there are certain situations where uh, I think it makes sense, you know, that a kid doesn't have to sit out. I think if you're – you know, I think where it's tough is, like – and it's not really happened to us as much or maybe with hockey East schools, but I think some of those Atlantic schools, they do a great job recruiting a kid and, and seeing the potential in a player, mm -hmm. they develop them and then someone comes mm -hmm. and takes them from them. Yeah. That's the piece that's tough to swallow for me. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. yep. You know, it hasn't happened to me yet, but if <laughs> it did, that would be, uh, you know, like I said, that'd be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. No question here no I, you know mike made a good point about that and and <coughs> i think it's one of those things I, I can't wait for this all this covid stuff to be over because there's still one more group of kids that right. can go play a fifth year and then it's going to be balanced out again because there are a lot of teams and i'm not going to name them mike knows who they are and a lot of the fans would know who they are but i just don't want to talk about them that have basically built their programs based on the covid situation and, and I just – I don't think it's appropriate. And some of them have had a lot of success because of it. And it's going to be interesting to see whether those teams have the same success once all this grad stuff and the COVID stuff is gone. I really mean that. No, yeah. I, and I agree with you. But, you know, the reason I got into coaching was the relationships. And, uh, like, a kid I had, Wyatt Newpower, played uh, probably 15, 15 to 20 games his freshman year. And then we had a really good recruiting class, and he wound up playing only maybe 15 his sophomore year. And that, that's your typical kid, I'm going to come in and I'm going to transfer because I'm not playing here. Right. But instead, he came in and said, Coach, what do I have to do? I want to play here, right? Wow. So I said, all right, Wyatt, this is what you have to do. You have to stay here all summer. you got to train with us. 
this is where you got to get better. At the time, uh, I thought he needed to be a little more coachable. And I'll tell you what, he came back. He stayed all summer. He worked on his game, uh, wound up his junior year, having a great junior year, getting elected captain. Senior wow. year was voted by the other coaches in the league, the top defensive defenseman in the league. And then he goes and signs a deal with uh, Columbus. Chris Clark signs him like Clarky called me. What, and I, what a good man. What a good it, man. Chris Clark and then Eisenman saw him during the COVID year because they played – Who's their team? Lake Erie? Uh, would that be uh, Columbus? That's Columbus's farm. Yeah. That's right. So he's yeah. playing for Lake Erie. Yep. And they were playing Grand Rapids like 15 times that year. Um, <laughs> and Eisenman saw him and wound up signing him to a two-year deal. And I'm like, those are the reasons you're a coach. Like, yeah. Watching kids struggle and, and fight and not give up on themselves and then eventually, you know, make it to a point where you're signing an NHL contract. Uh those are the things that I love to see. Uh, and I just think we've made it too easy for kids to say, oh, I'm just going to go somewhere else. The grass yes. is green. The grass is greener. And we all know as you get older, it really isn't. No. 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 I mean, uh, remember we had Terry Ryan on a couple of days ago. I listened he, to that. Yeah. yeah. And he flew out in that, in that interview. I was just thinking of it as you're talking there. He admitted, he said, hey, you know, maybe if I had gone to Michelle Terry and, and said, what do I got to do? I know you don't like me. I don't like you. But what do, what, what do we have to do to meet halfway? Maybe things would have gone differently. So I, I think that's a good lesson for kids out there to maybe in that situation, no matter what level you're at, you know, below college, college, pro, whatever. It's, it's a good lesson to remember. Jimmy, one of the great characters in all of college hockey is a guy by the name of Jerry O'Flair or Bill O'Flaherty, his brother's yeah. Jerry. I know Billy. So Mike is very good friends with Billy. Oh, okay. I would yeah. like you to give a couple good flapper stories because flapper is his oh, nickname. Oh God, God. Well, <laughs> he's always texting me pretty much. Like he'll, I think tonight's game's on Nesson, so I think he'll be able to watch that tonight. Yeah. Um, he's now, just he moved, back, he moved back to Potsdam, right? You know, yeah, Pierre. You know, I I probably can't. Uh, Say Billy O'Flaherty stories on this podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is for the raw but one, right, Coach? <laughs> we've, we've had, I'll tell you what, he used to drive me crazy. Uh, my first, Scott Pollock and I used to laugh about it all the time. Jerry would come in and be like, hey, you know, we'd be on a five, six game heater. We're winning. And Jerry's be like, I'm going to change the neutral zone four check. I was talking to O'Flaherty, and O'Flaherty thinks we should do this. <laughs> and I'm like, since when has O'Flaherty started coaching here, you know? But uh, Billy and I used to laugh about that. But Billy uh, and I have a lot in common because we have similar personalities, I think. And we both work for Jerry yeah. and uh, have so many good Jerry stories. But uh, he, he's a wonderful he, he's a wonderful human being. His daughter, his daughter was living in Simsbury up until two years ago. And I used to call her the de facto GM of my team because she was at every one of our games. Uh, and, and she's as into it as much as uh, yeah. Katie is into it as much as Billy is. So uh, I really, truly cherish his friendship. Yeah. And legendary. By the way, he was a great coach at Clarkson University, oh, and a great administrator, well, too. And Terry oh, yeah. Mahar, Terry Mahar was his assistant. Yeah. yeah. So was a good friend. Before he took the voting job. He, he did. And, and yeah. you know, he scouted for Ottawa, right? <laughs> He, uh, you know, he, the biggest part about Coach O'Flaherty was he wasn't a very big guy, but he could pack a punch. Like yeah. he had spirit, unbelievable spirit. Yeah. Really, he still really. does. Yeah, yeah he, he does. does. He does. <laughs> you know how I met Billy was through uh, through Artie Pierre, through Kevin. Oh, is that Steve. right? Through Kevin. Oh yeah, I, mean, we used to, I used to sit with them up in a press box when he when Billy was scouting still, and that was a trip. Those those are good times, and this he he was so insightful though. Just you know, because the reporter, I'm not watching it like you guys are, the coach or scout. So I learned so much through him and through other scouts as well. But Billy was great. He was he's a great teacher. Just sitting there in the press box, pointing out things that I would never notice. Yeah, no, they're, 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 with, with, with a comical touch too. Yeah. <laughs> it just I want to say this because Mike's on the relationships you built because of hockey are amazing. So my brother Ryan was teammate right. with Mike at Bowden. Right. My sister Renee 
went to Babson and her roommate and teammate in two sports was Kathy Kavanaugh. My yeah. sister. You can't make that up. It's such a small amazing. world. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah. We it both is, know uh, the Masters brothers. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all connected I have somewhere. the Masters brothers too. Yep. Uh, I have my Masters so brothers stories too, Jimmy. But I'm not sure <laughs> those are I know. We'll keep yeah, appropriate we'll keep. for this podcast either. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I know you got a game. You got to get going. Yeah, but yeah. you're. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time. Really means a lot. It was uh, it was fantastic. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think you're doing a great job. I told Pierre, stop sending me the podcast. I've already subscribed. I'm doing <laughs> it on my way to work every day. I was just listening to Kevin Paul Dupont on the way in here. Yeah, uh, he was uh, priceless. He was good. Yeah, yeah. He was good. and uh, you know Pierre Terry Terry went into the Bowden Hall of Fame last week, so. Uh, I think we we'll didn't get, get a chance. On. Maybe next time I'm on, I'll have Terry Mahar because he was another really, really fortunate. Maybe the holy trinity for me in this business. I had Jim Logue, Terry Mahar, and, and Jerry York, uh, three incredible mentors. And uh, I can't thank them enough for, for being a part of my life and my hockey career. Yeah, right. Tex Let's Mahar see. is one tough cookie, though. We used to call him Clint Eastwood. He looks like Clint. He'd have that oh, stare yeah. like Clint would have. Oh, you boy. Know, the high plains drifter. Coached a lot of big games against him, though. I'll tell you what. He knew how to I run know. a bench. He knew how to run a bench. I was really uh, – it was a challenge. Every time we would play against them, he was a real good coach. Nice. Thanks, Coach. Good luck tonight. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you, Michael. Take care. Bye-bye. UConn, join us here on On Campus Fridays on the ITES. Really, oh. uh, probably my favorite time of the week here is uh, is these segments we do. And you know, uh, he's I, just, first of all, that guy's a winner. Everywhere oh, he's ever been, he's won. I'm just yeah. telling you. And um, you won't like I've spoken to his teams, whether it was at Boston College or UConn, and you can see, you know, he doesn't want to use that term culture. Hmm. He builds a culture. Yeah, and it's and I about get what he was saying there. I understood. He it. wants honorable kids that are coachable and you heard him talk about that one young man he said you got to be more coachable and if you're more coachable i can help you yeah and that's got to be a great and you've probably been in the same situation as a coach beer i mean that that's gotta be like he said those are the moments when you're like this is why i do this this yeah. is this is what it's about because man it's anyone can coach us well not anyone but i'm just saying superstars going to come in they're going to do their thing as long as they listen that's it but if you get somebody who you know just has something down there to reach for and he's just not going to that spot to grab it and you can get through that's going to be the best i don't know i've never coached but that's going to be the best feeling as a coach it, it is and i'll give you a couple of examples and i'll make it brief uh we had mike curl but uh who was an all-american defenseman drafted by the rangers at St. Lawrence, and uh, after we got eliminated by Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament, um, Mike came to me and says, I'm going to leave. Um, I'm going to Flint to play for the Rangers farm team. I've never been in a fight. Can you come out on the ice with me and give me some tips? So we spent about 45 minutes grappling uh, on the ice at St. Lawrence at Appleton Arena, and, and Mike went on and did so many great things. He was a real good player, played in the NHL for a while, and he could really shoot the puck. And he did end up getting in a couple of fights. And he, he, he I remember him telling me, he said, that really helped me. Thanks a lot. But here's the best one. We have an off day in Detroit. And Detroit had obviously some heavy hitters back then. Yeah, um, yeah. Joey Koser comes to mind. Uh, Bob Probert comes okay. to mind. Impressive and show. we had a real tough guy in Pittsburgh by the name of Jay Caulfield. And we had, I like I said, two days off. And Jay Bird calls me up in my hotel room and he says, uh, hey, coach, how you doing? I said, I'm good, Jay. How you doing? He goes, would you come to the rink with me and spar? Now, you got to understand, Jay Caulfield's like 6'6", 240, and he yeah. is ripped. Oh, yeah. So I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. He says, I got to get ready because they got some artillery on the other team. <laughs> so we spent, I'm going to say, an hour just doing all kinds of stuff. I was holding gloves. We were grappling. We were doing all kinds of stuff. The next morning, I couldn't get out of bed because I didn't have shoulder pads on, and his hands were so big, he was sinking his claws right into my shoulder. I was in agony. I had bruises and waltz there for probably a month. I'm not kidding you. But Jay was – he was so into being a great teammate, Uh and that's why he called me up and said, 
I don't want to let the guys down tomorrow. Awesome. I don't want to let the guys down. And and so when you go through that with a player, it really means a lot. It really sure. does. For sure. Well, listen, Pierre, we've actually uh, we got we got a little time for questions. Are you down to throwing it to the question box? Let's let's, uh, let's get into it. We'll switch gears a little. Talk a little pro here. All right, Alex Avanowski says, "I always want to ask this question to Pierre." Do you think the Red Wings go back-to-back in 2009 if Pavel Dotsuk doesn't miss the first four games of the series? That Red Wing team was unreal. They were really unreal. But here's what I think the the kicker was, Alex. It's a great question, by the way, and you're spot on about, obviously, Pavel Dotsuk, who's got a chance to potentially be in the Hall of Fame. Um, He's eligible this year for the first time. Mario Lemieux, after game five, I walked out with him. That was a game that uh, Detroit shellacked Pittsburgh. And it was just Mario and I walking out of Joe Lewis Arena. And I said, tough loss, Ice. That's his nickname. And he goes, yeah, tough loss, but we'll be back here for game seven. I said, how do you know that? He goes, we'll be back for game seven. Mario went back and wrote a message on the board in the locker room in Pittsburgh. And it got everybody's attention. And, you know, whether it was Marc-Andre Fleury or Sidney Crosby or Geno Malkin, it didn't matter. They all, he got their attention. It was Mario Lemieux. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced to this day, the 09 Stanley Cup gets won by Pittsburgh because of the influence of a guy that wasn't even playing anymore, Mario Lemieux. I'm just telling you. So to Alex's point on the question, I think if Mario Lemieux's not involved, I do think Detroit wins another cup. But Mario is involved, but not as a player. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Pierre. Those two years and having those rematches, and I know, I'm not saying, I love the parody of the NHL. I, I love that we're getting a different Stanley Cup final almost every year. But that was pretty cool. I mean, oh. that that had that had that Great. feel here of like, now I don't, I don't know if it's a stretch, but, you know, going back to the old Pistons-Lakers or Lakers-Celtics or, you know, just two teams just met each other and they work all year long just to get one more shot at each other. And hey, I I've been open. I'm a Red Wings fan growing up, and I was going for the Wings in that as well. But I mean, that was that was just a beauty. Those were great Stanley Cup Finals. And what people forget, Detroit was still in the Western Conference. That's right. You can't have that anymore because Detroit moved oh. into the East. So it's interesting what you bring up. But those two finals uh, were really really special. They really yeah. were. And those were both in the old buildings, right? They were. They were both the in the Joe old buildings. The, uh, in the, the igloo, igloo in, in Pittsburgh and at the Joe in Detroit. Yeah, we're just talking about the Joe today. All right, let's go to the next question. Oh, we got one. Here we go. 87 Eagles asks, hey, guys, how much do you know about Bogdan? I can't pronounce his name. Konyushkov. I heard he was just made C of his team in the KHL. All I know is what scouts have been saying is that uh, there's a chance that a lot of teams are going to be interested in him. I have not seen the player play. Pierre, is that the kid I asked you about that the Bruins were supposedly looking at? believe so, yeah. Same one. Okay, yeah. I haven't, haven't, seen, haven't seen the player play. Okay, that was going around Twitter last <laughs> I'll just, week. I'll, I'll, give you this. I'll give you this one. Two years ago when I was working in Ottawa, I tried to get into St. Petersburg. The war with Ukraine had just started. Oh, yeah. And I call a friend of mine who's pretty prominent in Russian situations. And I said, I need a visa to go from Helsinki to St. Petersburg. I wanted to go see Kuzmenko, who obviously signed with Vancouver. And the guy goes, as much as I like you, you're not coming to Russia. There's no visa for you. So I I haven't been to Russia probably in four or five years now. So I haven't seen the player play. That's another thing we don't tell you. You guys were just talking about the effect of COVID and having to watch video to scout and recruit. I mean, it's, it's at the pro level too on both accounts because of COVID and also yeah. because of the war. I mean, it's yeah. it's really taken a toll on scouting there. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned, Pierre, you know, it was whether we uh, forget the off-ice stuff, the juniors was a different juniors without Russia there. There's no, it is, no it's argument. It's amazing. It yeah. just changes the whole complexion of the tournament without the Russians there. For sure. All right. I think we got a question too. I wanted to get to this um, because one of our regular listeners and viewers listens to it. Uh, so let's pull that up. He sent us a video question. This is Evan. Uh, let's get that question up right now. 
Guys, before I ask my question, I just want to say keep up the great work. Uh, Pierre, I'm almost mad at you for not having done a daily show like this in the past. Um, really great getting your daily perspective on hockey. Really great hearing from all the people that you know across the sport. Um, okay, Pittsburgh Penguins, um, the challenge that Kyle Dubas faces. Um, there's so much urgency in the minds of people across the league and in the minds of fans that the Penguins have to make a decision when it comes to Jake Gensel, who's on the last year of his contract. Um, and someone said something today on social media that made me think, is it possible to exaggerate this urgency or at least one aspect of it? Um, because cap space itself is an asset. So if the Penguins don't move Jake Gensel, and if they end up failing to sign him, they still end up with more cap space in the summer that they can work with. Um, go easy on me if that's an erroneous way of thinking, but what do you guys oh. think? You know what? No, not erroneous at all. First of all, thanks for the question. Really well phrased. No, cap space is a premium. Mm-hmm. 100%. Eric it's, tells me this all the time, guys. It's a it's great a call. It's a asset. I talk to Jimmy about it all the time. Almost every day. <laughs> so it's it's a very important thing. It's a great question. Um, I know that Kyle Dubas went public. Was it yesterday or today, Jimmy, yes. where he said that he's not going to trade Jake Gensel? Well, he said he's in no rush to trade. Yeah, I, I, I think so. My point on this whole thing is the Nylander contract is going to be problematic for the Penguins, Mm -hmm. even though he's in Toronto. It's problematic because if you go do, I guarantee a Gensel's agent's going to use it as a comparable, and they're going to say, "Look at my guy; he's got better numbers than their guy," Um, and that guy's making eleven million dollars or ten million dollars. You know, Um, so. I think that's going to be a problem. That I don't think people are talking about, but that contract is going to be a problem for Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to Jake Gensel. For sure. And his agent, of course, is Ben Hankinson. So he's got that for sure to use his artillery in negotiations. Thanks again, everyone. We appreciate it. We love these video questions. So that was good. Yeah, that was, that was a really good question. Keep them coming. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. And we appreciate yeah. that. Uh, all right. Let's go. To, we got time for maybe three more. Let's go for one, yeah. one more right now. The Degler reviews. Do you think Patrick Wah will get hired in Ottawa? Well, that's the I hot know, topic well, right now. Yeah, a lot of people have been talking about it. Patty's a really good coach. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a good coach. I saw it firsthand when he was in Colorado. You see it winning the Memorial Cup with the Quebec Ramparts. Um, he'd be great because Ottawa is truly a bilingual market. It's not just an Anglophone market. Mm-hmm. It's a bilingual market. And I think that's something that Patty would be great at too. So, um, if he were, if they were interested in him, I'm sure he'd be interested in them because they 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 got some firepower there. That's a good team. I yeah. mean, the record doesn't speak to it. They need to address some things in goal. They need to address some things on defense. But they got mucho firepower, and I think Patrick would like to coach a team like that. Yeah, and let me just uh, let me say to Pierre, uh, if you don't mind, I heard you tell a story about when you you ran into Wad down in the yeah. bowels of the arena one time. Yeah, in Pittsburgh, um, it was right near the start of his career as a coach in Colorado. And I usually get to the ring 7.30, quarter to 8, and I'm walking through the hallway just reminiscing, looking at some old pictures from when I coached there and everything else. And I hear this noise down the hallway. That's 7.38 in the morning. In case yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's early in the morning. It's it's not at night. It's in the morning. So I'm hearing this noise down in the hallway. So I go walking down and there's Patrick Waugh by himself breaking down tape. Yeah. I was like, wow, he's into it. That's great. Yeah. That was really yeah. good. I was really impressed. Passion. He's got the passion for sure. Pierre, by the way, I don't know if you see in the comment section, we'll get to a couple more questions, but Evan McLaren, who just sent that question before, says, this is bringing the entire podcast. My question full circle. Look at this. Terry Meager cut me as an attempted walk-on. <laughs> <laughs> well, te- Tex was, uh, and he's a still a very good friend. I probably talked to him probably twice a month. And uh, I can tell you one thing, Bowden Hockey, back when he was there, Evan, it's no sitting to be cut by him because they had some really, really good teams. Uh, Johnny McGeo, John Leonard, um, you know, I can go down the line. There's so many good players. Uh, Stevie Thornton, Mike Cavanaugh, so Brad Rapator. I mean, there's so many. Ryan McGuire, my brother. <laughs> I mean, they had a lot of good players there. They really did. Nice. They really did. All right, let's go. We got two time for two more. All right, Randy Workman, what is the most important quality of a prospect to you, Pierre? I think you know what it is, Jimmy, but I'll answer it because it's character. 
I am a huge believer in character. Um, I'm a big believer in coachability. And I'm a big believer in guys that sacrifice um, for the well-being of the team. Yeah, guys have to be fast. Yeah, guys have to be strong. Yeah, guys have to have hockey sense. I get all that. But if you have a guy that's got a lot of character and has all those other things, they usually become really good players. Good stuff. All right, let's go to one final question here on a Friday on the eye test. The Daigler reviews. Would you trade Montreal's first-round pick this year if it's between 8 to 12 and Jordan Harris for Trevor Zegers? Great show, no. boys. No. Me neither. And I don't mean that in disrespect to the review. Um but no, I would not. Yeah, I, I'm like Pierre. I'm a big fan of Jordan Harris. I think uh, they've got they've got a keeper in him. Uh, I think there's some other defensemen though. I'd I'd be willing to at least discuss that are on the uh, Canadians' defense list there, Pierre. But I, I mean, you know, I know we had someone ask about Caden Gooley as well. No, 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 guys no, are no. foundation guys, guys. No, no. You know, you get Ryan back coming. Um, don't forget Arbor Jack guy, Logan Mayu. Like they, they, Montreal's going in the right direction. I know everybody wants the sexy offensive stuff. I get it. I totally get it. I totally understand. I grew up in the city. I I, I understand the mindset of the fans there, and it's elite. But you just don't give up defensive assets. You, you, just, you just don't give them up. And in and the, yeah, I'm with you, Pierre. And here's one other thing too. I'm looking from the other perspective right now, Pierre. Anaheim's got a ton of defensemen coming too. Yeah. So I'm most, I read all these columns about it, and nobody—I've never seen one person named Zellweger ever put in there. Owner Zellweger is a really good player. He's playing yeah. in San Diego right now. He's going to play in the NHL. I don't think they need defensemen. I think they're going to want forwards or picks and pros. Yeah. You know, they're going to want people up front. The one—the uh, one thing I'd say though, you—you you think about it. Just center ice now, Mason McTavish. Just think about this in, in, in Anaheim going forward. Leo Carlson and Cutter Goche. Okay. I, I I talked to the winningest coach in the history of hockey the other day about this. Yep. And he said, they're going to be really good. Greg Cronin's pretty psyched right really, now. Really, really good. And he's right. Yeah. Scotty's spot on. Yeah, they are. They are. And they'll, they'll build around it. And they got a good GM in Pat Verbeek. He's doing the right things. And he uh, you can tell – the Eisman influence in him, and he's got his own, you know, effect well, as well. Yeah. So, you know, Pat, just so everybody, I, I coached Patty, and we didn't always get along. But I'll tell you one thing: I respect the heck out of him, and oh, yeah. he he was a tough guy, and yep. he wants his team to be tough to play against, mm -hmm. and they will be. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be tough. That's gonna be a great team in a few years. Yep. Well, listen, everyone, thanks for joining us. We'll uh, we'll answer more questions on Monday. Uh, and then, of course, next Wednesday, Ask Away Wednesday. Um, but we appreciate this. It's been a great week. Uh, thanks to all our guests, and thanks to Coach Cavanaugh today and to our production crew. And, uh, Pierre, um, quickly, are there any big games this weekend that you're focused on in terms of uh, the NHL? No, I, I just think it's going to be a really interesting weekend for the Toronto Maple Leafs in particular. I think that Toronto-Vancouver game, and then it's a quick turnaround. They go down to Seattle. Uh, I know they think they're out of the woods because they won last night in Calgary. I think it's going to be a, a, a tough 48 hours for them when they are in Vancouver and Seattle. And they better start looking in the rearview mirror because that team in Detroit is starting to heat up. And yeah. that team in Tampa is starting to heat up too. You can ask the Minnesota Wild about that. Yeah. And just, just want to acknowledge one goal from last night, Jimmy. I, I, it was spectacular. Uh, when you look at what Owen Tippett did last night. Oh, I heard about it. I got to check it out. Yeah. It's just spectacular. I wouldn't, I feel bad for Joel Hanley. He's a defenseman for Dallas that was there. And, you know, obviously it's a tough play for the defenseman, but it's a spectacular goal and it shows you just where this guy's game is going. You know, one of our first shows, we talked about him mm -hmm. and, and how much out. improved he's been this year. And I think John Tortorella deserves a lot of credit for that. And I and we don't have this. You know what? I'll try and I'll get the sound bites for both the goal and Tortorella on the press conference after period because I'm not so sure if you heard Torts. That's what I heard. That's how I knew about the goal and Torts. And again, for people out there who say that Torts is this mean guy and he doesn't care about kids and he's always, he's not letting them express themselves on the ice and blah blah. Malarkey. 
He says after the game, uh, you know, I'm really happy for this kid because he's got something special and he can really, he can really be something special in this league. So like people need to just get away, get rid of that narrative about Tortorella. He is doing an amazing job and more specifically an amazing job with the young kids on his team. Yeah. And another great example of that is Morgan Frost. Look at how he made him ride up in the press box for a few, right? But when he came back down, he did his work in practice. He rewarded him. And now that kid's turned his seasons around. So, again, he's got to be in that Jack Adams uh, award conversation. But uh, I really loved hearing that from Torts, though. Like, he, he yeah. just said, this kid's got something special. And you wouldn't have heard Torch say that about 10 years ago. I'll tell you that. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Not. Well, listen, uh, everybody, thank you so much. And again, smash that. Everyone reminding me here in the comment section, smash that like button, smash that sub subscribe button. We appreciate your support. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend. And by the way, to everybody up in Canada, hockey, hockey day in Canada tomorrow. Enjoy all the hockey up there. Yep. Have a great one. Be safe. We will talk to you on Monday here in the eye test on the sick podcast network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.